Welcome. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us today for Milwaukee's philanthropic community, where we highlight people and organizations who are doing great things and making a big impact in our community. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach at Ellen Becker Investment Group. So how many of you fellow Wisconsinites are familiar with our state's tax policies and spending or education policies? Or how about our health care policy, welfare and social services policies, or maybe economic development issues? I know I could be more educated in certain areas. What if you had the opportunity to get involved in such a way that would engage and energize your fellow Wisconsinites in discussions on key public policy issues that are critical to our state's future, our growth, and our prosperity? Would you jump on board? My first guest today is Mike Nichols, CEO of the Badger Institute, and Angela Smith, who is the Director of Development. They're going to give us the 411 on what they do in this regard, and then they'll educate us on how we can be more informed and possibly involved. Welcome to the show today, Mike and Angela. Thanks for having us, Jill. You're welcome. Hi, Jill. It's great to be back. Great to have you back. So some of you might recognize Mike's name because he was a journalist and had a column for many years in the Milwaukee Journal. So I'm curious, Mike, tell us why you left your journalism career and and what brought you to the Badger Institute. Yeah, I loved what I did when I was at the Journal Sentinel. I was there for 18 years. I was a reporter for eight years, and I wrote a column for about 10 years. And I thought at one point I would do it forever. But in response to your question, uh, the reason I left, you know, basically is because regional newspapers are – go in the way of the buggy whip, as they say, and then <laughs> and other, you know, the dinosaur. And they're just, you know, they're not going to exist much longer. And in fact, the job that I had uh, no longer exists at the paper. They don't have columnists there. Mm, I can imagine. Wow. Well, Angela, you've been on the radio show before, um, but it was when you were with the National Christian Foundation, another great organization. What brought you to the Badger Institute? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'm a mom. I have two kids. They're eight and 11. And you know, they're just being raised really in a world that's very different than the world that I was raised in and frankly, the world that you were both raised in. And, um, but you know, (laughs) even, even my world here, um, I'm not quite 40 age. It's just, it's really different than the world that my kids are growing up in. And, um, it's just, it's interesting. Um, just, you know, the media bias and just, um, the progressive advocacy and just really what they are learning and absorbing every day in their schools and in their communities. And I just wanted to be part of something different. I wanted to show them that there is conservatism. Ooh, that's a mouthful <laughs> in the world. And, and, and it's okay. Um, it's okay not to be, you know, sort of in the mainstream on, on the liberal side of things all the time. And just wanted to show them something a little bit different and decided to, get involved with the Badger Institute because of that. What does the Badger Institute do specifically for those that are unfamiliar? We used to be called the Wisconsin Policy Research Institute, and that kind of put people to sleep, and they couldn't remember it. And so we changed the name to the Badger Institute a few years ago. But we still do, at core, a lot of research. Uh, We're very data-driven, and we research issues that we think are uh, important to prosperity and ensuring opportunity in the state. But we're also a journalism entity. We do have a magazine that uh, we use to try to often counter or supplement the narrative that you read in the so-called mainstream uh, press and also put a face on the policy work that we're doing. Wonderful. Well, 
don't you guys have this thing called a think tank? You know, why why is that important? And do all states have think tanks? Or is Wisconsin, you know, special? <laughs> I know we're special, but are we are we uh, different than all the other states in, in that regard? We do use that term. I, I sometimes think it's pretentious and I don't I don't love it, but that's a commonly used term. There are think tanks, a lot of them in Washington, you know, American Enterprise Institute, Heritage, Cato, Reason, a gazillion of them. There are think tanks all, all over the country, many of which do what we do, many of which uh, have, have other um, missions. And so, uh, but at heart, you know, we're not sitting around in ascots and smoking pipes, you know, they, you know thinking we're, again, we're, we're crunching, you know, numbers and doing research and doing a lot of writing and, you know, finding the smartest people we can, oftentimes elsewhere in the country to come in and share their stories uh, and, uh, and try to help us uh, really educate uh, and uh, advocate for uh, the, the, the ways that, that we come to find can really help the quality of life in the state. Well, let's stick with that thinking for a while. What, what policy areas do you focus on then and, and why? Right now, we have a center for opportunity, and uh, right now, quite honestly, there's a very antagonistic atmosphere in Madison and not a lot of areas where there can be bipartisan consensus. There are some, uh, believe it or not, uh, criminal justice, and I can give you some examples of what we're working on there from a conservative perspective. Hey, once people have, have done their time, so to speak, everybody deserves a second chance. We want to help people get into the workforce instead of being back into cells. Good for taxpayers, good for communities. The other area in our, our center for opportunity is licensure. Um, you know, million people in this state, more or less, need a license to do their job. And in some instances, that's more than appropriate. Uh, oftentimes, the burdens for getting a license are really too onerous, kind of kind of ridiculous. And so uh, we're trying to make it easier for people to get jobs and start businesses. So those are a couple of areas that we're involved in right now. Uh, but we do a lot of other stuff as well, ranging from you know tax policy to welfare and a whole bunch of other stuff. Okay. Um, I can just jump on board with that. So, you know, breaking it down a little bit into a basic level, we focus on policies that help people who want to work. Um, they want to prosper. They want to have opportunity. They want to, you know, just be part of the good things that are happening in society. That's one of the tenets that we have at the Badger Institute. We believe that the good things that happen in life come from individual initiative, um, personal liberties, uh, civil society. It doesn't necessarily come from government. Government has a role to play, certainly. Um, there's absolutely things that government is, is good for and useful for, but it's not good for everything. <laughs> and so that's where the Badger Institute really advocates on behalf half of Wisconsinites, um, some of the policy areas that Mike touched on, and I can just, um, you know, break down those down a little bit further. So um, the criminal justice reform, that's an area that is really important to us. Um, Mike talked about second chances. Have we not all made mistakes? Have we not all done the wrong thing at some point in our life to varying degrees? And um, we just look at eliminating inequities in the justice system um, for those folks who have turned their lives around and are doing the right things and making some of the you know, the policy things um, better for those folks who need a second chance and want to be productive, contributing members of society. Professional licensure. It's not a real fun term or topic, right? But like Mike said, there are a million people in the state who need a license to practice, barbers, cosmetologists, therapists. And um, it, it's 
you know, COVID really brought that um, to the forefront as far as people who um, needed to be working from home, you know, therapists, especially with the mental health issues, um, people coming from other states, they wanted to be working, um, but the licensure requirements were difficult coming from different areas. And so what can we do to help those people who are already qualified in their fields get a license um, more quickly, more expediently, again, to help the Wisconsinites who need um, that type of help? Hmm. Interesting. So, a lot of different things that you guys are involved with, which is interesting. But so you, the audience, might be wondering, do these policy areas, some of them that Mike and Angela have talked about and, and others that they're involved in, do they affect or impact me in some way? And if so, how? Well, if you stay tuned, we're going to dive into that after our commercial break. So we'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG. Milwaukee's philanthropic community with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm talking with Mike Nichols and Angela Smith from the Badger Institute. So I think it's important for our listeners to understand if and how your work impacts the average Wisconsinite. You know, uh, three examples right now of things in Madison that we're working on, and some of which have already moved through the legislative process. Expungement reform. So that just means people who have erred. These are these are low-level misdemeanors for the most part who can't get jobs because they they did something innocuous or some small wrong that they did. And so we're trying to help them seal those records so they have a better chance to get back into the workforce. And we've had a lot of success on that. That just moved through the assembly uh, very recently. Dental therapy, a lot of kids in this state uh, don't have dental care. Uh, We have a terrible record on that. And part of the reason is that, frankly, Jill, uh, dentists are trying don't like the competition from dental therapists, which exist in other parts of the United States. So we're trying to advocate for a change in the law where dental therapists can do relatively low-level uh, dental work on on kids and others who need it because uh, it's a health issue. So that's another one where we're making some uh, some progress in in Madison. And I would just say too that we already talked about professional licensure. Uh, we're trying to make sure that people who are coming from other states can very quickly get into the workforce in ways that they've been been you know impeded or prevented previously. Also working on you know criminal justice. Uh, just have had a lot of success in trying to find a way to uh, bring this country together a little bit in terms of police community relations. So uh, we've done a lot on use of force, not as not as common as most people think, but still an issue. And so uh, we're trying to help people who have uh, a lot of contact with police and also trying to help police who are there's a lot of distrust that oftentimes is not merited. Um, I just I think education is another way that I know Angela feels passionate about. Yeah, I'm sure going to piggyback on that. As I mentioned earlier, I'm a mom. My kids are eight and eleven. Um, did we not all have an effect last March when the world shut down and schools were closed? I was trying to work from home and homeschool two kids, and um, I'm just really blessed that my kids um, were at a school that reopened in August. And they went all year in person, um, masks every day and protocols and whatnot in place. But they started last August, and they just finished right before Memorial Day. They stayed in school every day. Um, we didn't have any closures or lockdowns. Unfortunately, that is not the case for a lot of kids in the area, um, both urban and suburban, particularly look at um, MPS. I mean, honestly, th- those poor kids, thousands, hundreds, thousands of kids um, locked out of schools. These are our 
poorest, most vulnerable children, um, they were not getting access to the lifeline that is a school. Schools are not just there for education, folks. We all know this. I mean, I, you know, even as a suburban mom experienced this, there's just a level of support that comes with having your kids in school. It's um, it's not only teaching, it's, um, you know, emotional and mental support, it's food, it's camaraderie, it's community. And um, that's an issue we feel very passionately about at the Badger Institute. COVID has really done more to advance um, the need for school choice in Wisconsin than any other organization could have done. The pandemic did that for us. And we are going to get back into looking at K-12 education, um, the need for choice in Wisconsin, and just ensuring that kids are put first and not um, not unions and those in positions of authority. Mm. You mentioned so many different topics that I got to believe any listener can grab a hold of and advocate for. I yep. mean, if, if you don't have uh, yeah, kids yeah. in the school system, then perhaps you know of someone who's been incarcerated right. or uh, is searching for uh, a license in, in some way. There's so many different things you guys talk about that I think our audience can really get uh, a hold of and, and help to advance certain initiatives, right? Absolutely. Is there a particular issue that hits either of you harder than another or one that you feel more strongly about than another? I think the the K-12 issue really is huge. Um, You know, that's one of the ones that we've heard a lot of clamor about, um, just because there have been a lot of kids who have been locked out of schools for so long. I mean, both urban and suburban. I mean, I'm, you know, out here in Waukesha County, and um, they were virtual almost all year, um, or at least some hybrid model thereof. And, you know, again, I feel blessed and fortunate that my kids were in a school that was able to stay open. But um, there's a lot of parents who didn't have that choice. And, you know, we had resources and means to try and deal with this. And, you know, folks in other communities that perhaps aren't as economically fortunate um, are really, really struggling in that way. And so um, we have a lobbyist. He's full-time in Madison for us. Um, He works on behalf of the Badger Institute, sort of working behind the scenes, um, whereas we have others who work for our organization that are actually testifying in front of the legislature. So they are um, they're facing, you know, legislature and policymakers and our lobbyist works behind the scenes to try and advance initiatives forward. School choice is one of those areas that we are really going to be pushing very actively moving forward. A lot of supporters and contributors to the organization also feel very, very passionately about that. And you mentioned before, Mike, that you guys do a lot of research. I imagine there's some pretty interesting stats around that whole education piece. Uh, The old WPRI, which is our predecessor organization, uh, has been working on school choice, the voucher system, uh, for 30 years. And so we have 30 years of research on that, and a lot of other people around the country do as well. Uh, So that's one type of school choice. Uh, Also going to be doing a lot more work on how Uh, We can actually make it easier for people to get into public charter schools. And, you know, this isn't just about private versus public. Um, You know, Angela brought up MPS, and, uh, you know, there are other public school alternatives for kids in Milwaukee that are not controlled by the MPS school board. And we need to make sure that uh, we expand those options, those uh, public school charter school options. Mm. You guys are doing so many great things, and you're touching um, a lot of different areas. I'm curious, how are you guys funded? That's a great question. So um, 
as I talked about earlier, government certainly has a role in all of our lives, but it is not the uh, the foremost um, big kahuna role at the Badger Institute. So we never accept government money. That's a very strong tenant for us. Um, it's it's We're beholden to um, government if we take money, and we're just not going to do it. We never have, and we never will. So um, we are um, privately funded. We rely on the generosity of foundations. Uh, we have a number of foundations, both here uh, locally in Milwaukee and Wisconsin, and then national as well, um, who are supporters of our work and what we do. Uh, we talked about these think tanks earlier. They're not just here in Wisconsin again. Like Mike mentioned, they're all over the country. And um, there's a number of other think tanks in other states that receive funding just like we do because um, there's not a lot of voices for conservative values. And so um, we're grateful to the funders um, at those foundations. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that we are also privately funded by donors, um, supporters, contributors, people probably just like you who are listening right now. Um, we cannot do this work alone. Um, there's, again, there's not a lot of voice out there for conservatism and, and the values and the policies. And so um, we are very, very blessed to have um, generous supporters and donors at the Badger Institute. We, we have donors, <laughs> it sounds so silly, but we have donors who give us $5 per year. And, um, you know, they're older and they're on fixed income, but they really like the work that we do. And, <laughs> and so we're grateful we're, for them. We I'm are. Sure. It yeah. sounds so silly, but we're just, you know, we're as grateful for our $5 donors as we are for our larger value donors. And um, your support in any amount really does make a difference. As Mike mentioned, we're in Madison right now. This week, we had just a number of things pass. And um, the work and the research and the initiatives behind um, all of the policy work that got passed in the legislature, that was due to generous supporters and donors. We can't do that research, and that work does not get funded otherwise. So um, those, are, those are the two main ways. Well, and then you mentioned that you can't do this work alone. Does the Badger Institute collaborate with other nonprofits to accomplish your goals and and theirs too? Yes, absolutely. So there are a number of other community organizations that we work closely with. Um, one of the organizations is called Partners in Hope. Um, they're affiliated with a 501c3 called the Community Warehouse, and um, they're doing a lot of reentry work with um, prisoners. And again, people who've made mistakes. We talked about expungement, and that's one of the areas that's important to us. So we work with folks like them. Um, we work with a number of other organizations, too, sort of the social service sector, um, to advance some of these issues and initiatives with you know, criminal justice reform, poverty alleviation, things of that nature. Hmm. Well, we don't have enough time to go into everything that you guys do, but I think we got a really good understanding. Um, so if you're listening and you want more information, um, tell us how the listener can, uh, where they would go to find out more about the Badger Institute and get involved if they choose to. Yep, absolutely. The um, Badger Institute's website is badgerinstitute.org. Pretty easy. Um, wealth of information on there. I'll touch on a couple of things. Um, we have a whole section on our magazine, which is called Diggings. We haven't talked about that yet. Um, it's the only conservative magazine in Wisconsin. If that sounds of interest to you, hop on our website. You can download some free copies. We can get you added to our mailing list. And then we can get you um, this information in either print or electronic form. Um, we have a number of issues and initiatives that we're working on in Madison, as we talked about here on the show today. If any of those resonate with you, we can certainly get you hooked up um, with, again, more information or, or advocacy. Come, come to one of our events. Get on our email list. Contact your legislature. <laughs> uh, there's a number of things you can do. And then, again, if you're, of course, so inclined to donate, we certainly would be very appreciative of your contribution in any amount. And there's a donate button right there on the homepage of our website. 
Awesome. That makes it easy, right? It does. Sure does. Well, thank you, Mike Nichols and Angela Smith, for being here today and sharing uh, why you're so passionate about advocacy for Wisconsinites. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Jill. You're welcome. So in the first half of the show, these first two segments, you learned about the Badger Institute and how and why they work closely with nonprofits in our community for a whole host of of issues, as you've heard. Stay tuned, and we'll talk with one of these nonprofits after the commercial break. You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo. My next guests today are Adam Purcell, who is the Community Outreach Specialist for Partners in Hope. And we have the privilege of welcoming also Inspector Shante Boston-Smith, who is a Milwaukee police officer who is very involved with the Partners in Hope mission. Welcome to the show today. Thank you. So... Why don't we start with you, Adam? Uh, how did you come to be the community outreach specialist at Partners in Hope? Thank you, Joe, once again for having us. And it stems from a very long journey, and there's real no easy way to say it. So I'm going to go ahead and just get right into it. Long story short, I received a life sentence three days after I turned 15 years old for a gang-related homicide. I would be the youngest and smallest person sent to the adult prison system in Wisconsin at about five foot one, 108 pounds. Got into a lot of trouble very early on. Would eventually renounce my gang affiliation, dedicate my life to God, and work with kids brought into the prison system to try to keep them out of gangs. I would end up serving about 23 years consecutively behind bars and was released in 2018, whereupon I was hired by Partners in Hope, and they felt that they could use my my background to really get through to people who have been released and now are entering into the community. Mm-hmm. I'm curious now, Partners in Hope is affiliated with the Community Warehouse. Yes, ma'am. Um, you've got such a compelling story, Adam, and I'm sure we'll speak to uh, some of our listeners. And uh, it's important, I think, to for people to understand how Partners in Hope works within the community warehouse or under the community warehouse umbrella. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Absolutely. The community warehouse is the nonprofit 501c3, and Partners in Hope is the division of. And it's a faith-based prisoner reentry program where we develop positive life skills in order to help those getting out successfully transition back into the community. Every two months, we hold a two-week pre-vocational workshop where we bring in a lot of different people, CEOs, uh, motivational speakers, and really try to offer hope and a, an opportunity for them to see anything is possible. Mm. That's a great message to have, right? I mean, everybody needs to hear that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, I think, too, finding a rewarding and a satisfying job is is so crucial, so important for anyone who wants to be self-sustaining and a contributing member of society, but especially for those that are just released from prison. You want to tell us why? Sure. And believe it or not, one of the first things that I tell our clients when they enter our program is a job in and of itself will not keep you out of prison. Now, that may come as a surprise to a lot of people because a job is important. And in fact, for some, a job can actually increase one odds statistically of going back to prison. But, and it is a definitely a big but, 
if we don't address the other cognitive or wraparound or psychological issues that's going on in one's life, a job's not going to do anything to cure that. And we have to get over that antiquated belief that a job is a cure-all. And as I said, a job is very important, but a career for someone returning home from prison that somebody can be proud of is much more important in the long-term success. And that's what we do. That's what we address in our program. Give us an idea of what goes on during the day at Partners in Hope. Well, as I said, we we run a pre-vocational workshop. We're currently in the middle of one right now. And we have participants come, and we'll bring in somebody who has gone through what they've gone through. Uh, We have one individual that he owns three businesses now. So we want to show them visually this is what success looks like. And this is an individual who did 20 years in prison. So it's oftentimes more time that these individuals have served. So if they can see visually firsthand what success looks like, they can say, hey, if he can do it, I can do it too. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, there, there's another example of we all need mentors in our life, right? Yes. Anybody, you know, it helps. somebody that can walk alongside you and encourage you and just uh, point you in the right direction. We all need that. I understand that you involve law enforcement in the work that you do with ex-offenders. Tell us about that. Why, why is that so important? As law enforcement, we're committed to keeping the community safe, and partnering with Partners in Hope allows us to fulfill that commitment. As law enforcement officers, we are able to come alongside of them as part of this program and let them know that we are on their side with their second chance uh, to help them create a different type of mindset because we understand that's very important. Many times when they go to prison, the law enforcement is who they see in their eyes as who put them there. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. So now to be a productive citizen in our society, you have to be able to trust the authority figure. So that is one of our biggest roles there is keep you here, keep you out of prison, but at the same time work together and be able to be on the same team. We don't have to agree with each other, but we do have to have that mutual respect for each other and each other's responsibilities and goals. Mm. And you know what? That's beautiful to hear because it seems like all we hear in the news is the contentious relationship between uh, the public and the police department. And we know that that's not the case. Again, I say so many times on the show that we don't steer away from challenges and tough issues, but we say, you know, yes, this is the challenge. Yes, it exists. But let's turn our focus instead on the positive things that are happening because there's so many positive things going on. You know, how how is that working for you? Do you see those relationships turning? I do. And, and our partnership does not only assist the ex-offenders. It also assists law enforcement. It helps us understand what their thought process is of us and help us to understand when we exhibit certain behaviors, when we say certain things, what occurs in their minds. And that does set the tone to how that conversation is going to go with each other. So bringing us together, we have seen a change. I have absolutely seen some say, I hate you, I hate you. And then two months later, they're loving on me. Mm -hmm. They're hugging me. They're kissing me. They're bringing their children to meet us. They're bringing their wives. 
they want us to mentor someone else in their family, and that's what we're there for. But at the same time, it helps me too because I'm very transparent. You know, I don't come in with the attitude of, oh, you did something wrong. Well, guess what? I have made mistakes in my life just as well. Mm -hmm. So we are a mentor, but at the same time, they see that we are all human. We touch the human side, and that is the biggest thing that we get from it. Mm, that's got to be so fulfilling for you. It is. I mean, that's that's wonderful to see that you're reaching out and touching uh, so many people in so many positive ways. Again, that's what this show is all about. We want to highlight all that good stuff. That's wonderful. Um, well, unfortunately, there are people out in the world that believe once a criminal, always a criminal. You know, you, you had talked about the fact that we all make mistakes, right? Every single one of us. Uh, they're just different from each other, right? You know, the mistakes that we made. So stay tuned to hear more about what Partners in Hope feels about that judgment call. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community. With your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach, and I have the privilege of speaking today with Adam Procell from Partners in Hope and Inspector Shante Boston-Smith, who is a Milwaukee police officer who works with Adam in their efforts. So... Uh, referencing the statement prior to the break, once a criminal, always a criminal. What would you guys say to those that believe that? I get that sentiment. I, I really, really do, because especially today, with all the violent crime seemingly on the rise, society is tired of it. People are tired of people committing crimes. Every one of those crimes is a result of one human being dehumanizing another and creating a victim, and tears are now falling as a result. But I would argue with this statistic, over 95% of the people that are incarcerated at some point will come home, will probably be your neighbor. So if we do not treat them as human beings now, how can we expect them to act like human beings? Mm. What if you were defined by the worst decision that you ever made for the rest of your life? And we've all made mistakes, some obviously worse than others, but we are more than our worst mistake. And if we do not help those who have served their time successfully transition back into society, we will continue this cycle of victim creation by default. It is why we at Partners in Hope are in the business of preventing tears from falling, preventing victims from being created. And it kind of reminds me of one of the gentlemen. This is a, a full circle sort of what can really happen. There's an individual, I'll just reference him as SB. He committed a crime over probably... 41 years ago and he was arrested on 4th and North and you'll understand why I'm referencing that street so almost a quarter or half a century later we get a gentleman entered into our program and we are located on 4th and North and it's it's one of those it's situations where not to get religious I don't know how you can say that a half century in between the last time he saw freedom and the very fir first place he has entered into for a prisoner reentry program is on the same block. Mm -hmm. How else do you describe that other than divine intervention? Yeah. And when I think about that statement, once a criminal, always a criminal, I immediately say, how can you have that mindset? 
Um, criminals are humans who just made a bad decision. To say that a person cannot recover from their bad decisions is very similar to telling a person that because of their mistake, they're no longer human mm-hmm. and that they shouldn't even be on this earth. And when you think about that statement, that doesn't make sense, right? Right, right? So that doesn't make sense to me that once a criminal, always a criminal. Everyone always have it within them to change their lives. Absolutely. And that's what we're here to do, to send the message that we acknowledge your mistake, but your mistake does not define you mm. of who you are. Let those mistakes you did Allow them to define the character that you will now build from those things in the past. Because uh, we understand that character is cultivated through your thought process, uh, through your choices, through your commitment, through your determination. And so what I say is that's just a cop-out to say that. that Just say you don't want to help. Mm. Because truly, once a criminal is not always a criminal. And I think, Adam, you're a great testament to that, right? I mean, your story is awesome. You know, you you look at what you've been through and where you're at now and where you're going. You know, the sky's the limit, right? There are so many great things that you guys are doing. You have a program that uh, the participants will graduate from, right? Um, How many people have been through that program and, and graduated? We've had about 120 men and women graduate our program, and of those graduates, we have about a 4.1% recidivism rate, and you couple that with the state of Wisconsin's 34, 35, 37-ish, depending on what numbers you're looking at, recidivism rate, we definitely feel that we have the numbers to show that what we do works. What what we're doing is genuinely making our community safer. And then do you think think that you can define your success by those number of graduates or no? I don't think um, our success is defined by the number of graduates. Our success is defined by did we transform lives mm-hmm. to the point that they do not re-enter into this judicial system and commit more crimes. Remember that when they come out, individuals come out of the prison system, they're part of us. They're part of our community. So either we help them to be integrated correctly, not the way that they were integrated into prison, not the way that they were integrated into their other past lives. We need to integrate them into the society and have them have the outlook on how they should view being part of the society. Because one of the things and a couple examples that I have is I have some young men and some women who knows what to do, but their mindset doesn't tell them that they're part of our community. They still see themselves as being separate. Mm -hmm. Although they have been out for a while, have not committed any crimes, they have jobs, they have homes, they have cars, they're doing everything that society said that they should do to be productive, but their mindset still say, I'm not good enough. And so that's where the mentorships come in, uh, me as a volunteer, to stand with them hand-to-hand to build them up, to say, you are worthy of this. Mm. You paid your debt to society. Even as a law enforcement, I did my job from the beginning, but you went in and you paid your debt. I cannot hold that against you because you went through the process. 
and the process has ended for you. So now change your mindset and understand that we are here. Um, as part of the program and volunteer, I give out my cell phone. Yes, I give out mm-hmm. my cell phone number to the criminals, believe it or not. <laughs> she does. But I will say they're the past criminals. You know, I like to give them my cell phone and say, you are starting with a new slate. No, if I just arrested you, I am not giving you my phone number. However, you are done. You're through that process. And I say, call me. Mm. And sometimes I do get those phone calls where literally I have to talk them out of not going the wrong way. And sometimes it's early in the morning, (laughs) late at night. But later on, when they have come to their senses and said, okay, I just needed to get that off my chest, they realize, like, okay, I guess the police is not that bad, number one. Number two, I think I actually can do this. I just needed someone to walk me off the cliff. Yeah, and believe in me. Yes. Right? And you're doing that. Thank God for you. That's that's wonderful. Wow. We all know that people need mentors, like we talked about, but we also need people out there advocating for and supporting those people that may struggle in, in a particular area. So, you know, we talked to the Badger Institute in the first few segments. What role did they play in bringing Partners in Hope to Wisconsin? Only just the biggest role ever. <laughs> and I don't think a lot of people realize this, but I think it was February of 2017 the Badger Institute had the wisdom and foresight, really, to recognize the importance of successful prisoner reentry. And they brought to Milwaukee the founder and CEO of Hope for Prisoners, John Ponder, and his excellent law enforcement partners from Las Vegas. Hope for Prisoners is obviously, in my opinion, the best reentry program in in the nation. And it's our sister program, but the fact of the matter is, they're the trendsetters, and we're just trying to keep up with them. But it was the Badger Institute's I don't know how they saw that because my CEO, my boss, always looks for best practices, and they brought to Wisconsin the best practice in reentry within the entire world, in my opinion, mm-hmm. in John Ponder and Hope, Hope for Prisoners. So had they not brought them to us, we wouldn't be sitting here right now before you. Mm-hmm. So the Badgers Institute played a pivotal role in getting Partners in Hope off the ground. Mm-hmm. And again, and when we were interviewing them, we talked about you know, how can people get involved with the Badger Institute in in the issues that they're involved in? And Mike and Angela so eloquently talked about the criminal justice system and, and how they are in support of that. And, you know, if you're listening and you have a heart for that, there's a way for you to get involved um, in a number of different ways. You know, having mentors in your life is so important for so many people, especially those struggling in some way. It's a lifeline, right? Are you guys in need of mentors or volunteers? Let's let's talk about that. What do you what do you guys need? We absolutely need volunteers. We need uh, mentors. Everyone that comes to our program, you know, we have a di- very diverse program, and one of two mentors like myself can't reach them all. Everybody can bring something to the table and um, impact someone else. Volunteerism doesn't necessarily have to be just mentorship. Um, on top of mentoring, if you have things that you can add to our weekly two-box huddle, if you have something that you can impart. So we have small sessions where we're able to talk. So if you have a business and you see something that people are not doing right when they come to their interviews, that's a portion that you can talk about 
at the huddle, help them with their, you know, their life skills. You have something, you're part of an educational institution, and, and you know there's certain things that people are not doing well, and that's why they can't pass the test to get into your educational institution. That's something you can bring to the huddle. Mm-hmm. Whatever you have that you're successful in in your own life, then you have something to offer. It can be one night. It can be on multiple nights. We will take anything that's going to help us walk hand-in-hand with individuals that want to be productive, which in the end, their productivity makes our community safer. Absolutely. There's never enough time to talk about all the things we want to talk about, but uh, to close up the interview, is there one thing in particular that you want the audience to take away from what we talked about today? Probably the fact that people can change. And, you know, when you were speaking earlier, I kind of had a goosebump sort of teary-eyed moment because I I sat here and was like, I'm being interviewed with the inspector from the Milwaukee Police Department, who I have the absolute blessing to call a friend, the Mm -hmm. cop and the convict. And in what other world could that possibly happen if God didn't give me a second chance, if she didn't give me a second chance? Mm -hmm. So that person that committed a a terrible crime, yes, we we need to be punished, self-included, But at the end of the day, we're all human, and we are more than our worst mistakes. Mm, Wow. Powerful words. Very, very well said. If someone wants to advocate for or volunteer or somehow get involved with Partners in Hope, what's the best way for them to do that? They can log on to our website and email us at pih at thecommunitywarehouse.org. Okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you for participating in our interview today, Adam and Shantae. We appreciate you sharing how community advocates and especially Partners in Hope are making a difference in our community. Thank Thank you. Thank you, Joe. I'd also like to thank Mike Nichols and Angela Smith from the Badger Institute who participated in our first two segments. So if you'd like further information about what we talked about today or get more information about the individuals that we talked to uh, or you want to be a guest on our show, you can email me at jill at ellenbecker.com or you can call our office at 262-691-3200. Join us next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. to learn more about the ways people and organizations are contributing to making our community safe and healthy. You can tune in to News Talk 1130 on your radio or you can go to newstalk1130.com on your computer or you can listen on your cell phone via the iHeartRadio app. I encourage you to visit our website at ellenbecker.com to listen to previously aired shows, or you can also listen on demand now at Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or Apple Podcast. I hope we have informed and inspired you today by sharing how our guests are making a difference in our community. I encourage you to take some time to think about how you might be able to make some kind of impact by volunteering your time, your talents, or by donating resources to any of the organizations that we talk to on our Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community Radio Show. It's a great way to be a blessing and give a blessing to someone you may or may not know or to a cause that you're passionate about. Thanks for listening today, and have a great Sunday.